Welcome to the Saving Grace Adventist Church Sermon Podcast. We pray that you will be blessed by the Word of God. I'm going to invite you to open with me your instrument of reading. And let us go to the book of Psalms. Psalm Psalm 50. And let us begin at verse 11. I know every bird in the mountains and the insect in the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you For the world is mine on all that is in it. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Sacrifice, thank offering to God. Fulfill your vows to the Most High. And call on me in the day of trouble. And I will deliver you. And you will be honored. Or you will honor me. Today I want to. My subject is in the form of a question. What does God want from us? That is the subject today. What does God want from us? Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the week that was. A week with many things happening in our lives. Some good ones, some not so good ones, some sad ones, some glad ones. But more than all, Lord, we know that our lives have been blessed just to be alive and to have you in our hearts. We pray today that your word will bring hope and life and comfort to us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Now, What does God want from us? I want you to think about this question for a moment. What does God want from us? Let's turn it another way as you ask the question. Ask yourself, what does God want from me? You might also be interested to find out One thing that God does not want. Usually when someone comes to us and tells us that they want something from us, there are usually two questions that come to our minds. One, what is it going to cost me? And what's in it for me? So, Those are the two questions that we usually ask. But let me say to you today that God does not want or he does not need our money. He doesn't need it. I want to make that straight and plain. Now listen to what The psalmist says again in Psalm 50. Says, I, and I'm reading from a different translation. I will not take a bull from your house. Nor goats out of your fold. For every beast of the forest is mine. And the cattle and a thousand hills. Oh yes. 
They are mine. I know all the birds of the, the forest and the beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world is mine and all its fullness. Now, the Lord tells us three simple things in this passage through the psalmist. First one is that God says, I own everything that there is. That's the first thing. The second thing that God is telling us here is that I have everything that I need. And the third thing that God is telling us is that I do not need anything. I do not need anything. And so, how do we know that? Hear what Psalm 24 and verse 1 says. The earth is the Lord's. What it says? The earth's. The earth is the Lord's and what? And the fullness thereof. The world and they that dwell therein. That is the King James Version. But listen to what another version says. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. Now, what does God want? From us. This is a very important question. And we need an answer for it. What does God want from us? Now. Let me attempt to give you an answer here. God. The first thing that God wants from us. Is that he wants our lives. He wants us. That's the first thing. And in, in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 and 2, the Bible says, I urge you. The King James Version says, I beseech you. But this one says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's grace, I urge you, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And I'm glad that this author uses the word worship. For God wants us, yes, but he wants us to worship him. He wants us to give ourselves to him as 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 living, holy, acceptable sacrifice. Now, of course, the writer of the Hebrew here, Paul, is taking the imagery from the Old Testament sacrifice. When the, the priest offered the sacrifice on behalf of the congregant, and then the, 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 the congregant themselves had to offer their own sacrifices, but always, they, without exception, there were always dead sacrifices because they had to be offered. The blood had to flow out. The life has to disappear. And then it became a dead sacrifice. So here Paul says that God wants sacrifice, but he does not want animal sacrifice anymore. He wants us as his sacrifice, but he wants living sacrifice. And, uh, and, and in one translation, the word is not just living, but the word is lively. Because you can be living, but you are lifeless. You are you're without energy, or you're not agile. But here, it's, it, it's this sacrifice must be a moving sacrifice. Holy and acceptable unto God, which is what? 
our reasonable service. Now, there are those who paint a picture of God as one who is exacting and brutal. But God here says that whatever I ask of you, it's reasonable. It's reasonable. And so, he wants us, he says, and and you must not conform to this world. But you must be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Daily, there must be a spiritual reunion or, or renew, we are renew, rather, we are being renewed daily. The renewing of the mind as we are, we are reunited with God every day. And this is a perfect sacrifice because that is God's will. Now, when we offer ourselves to God, this is the highest form of Christian stewardship. What did I say? When we offer ourselves to God as living sacrifices, this is the highest form of what? Christian stewardship. Christian stewardship. And I've brought a new word in the discussion here now. And so stewardship is a popular term that is used by religious leaders when they want their followers to give something. They're always asking that you give something. Now, for them, stewardship is often associated with tithe. And offering and generosity and money. While these associations are not wrong, they distort the meaning of stewardship. For stewardship means much more than simply giving time, employing your talent, giving your money, or even giving your body. Stewardship demands a way of life that encourages virtues and bears the fruit of solidarity with God and with the heavenly host. Sacrifice here means self-giving. Stewardship means self-giving and a full Sacrificial presentation of ourselves to God. So the first thing that God wants from us. Is that we must give ourselves to him. Thus throw it to him. Yes. Christian stewardship is a way of life. In which we recognize that everything belongs to God. And that all resources must be used for his glory and for the common good of humanity. Self-sacrifice is the fruit of Christian stewardship. Self-sacrifice. So, there, in, in stewardship, God asks us to give ourselves. Not what we have. Because we can give what we have and, and we don't give ourselves. You know, I read a story many years ago of a preacher who went to, uh, to one of the African countries. And he was preaching. And as he preached the word of God. The people were convinced. And were convicted. And then he made a call for, for them to come forward. And the people came forward. But there was a distinguished gentleman. Who was in the audience. He was the African chief. And when the preacher called. The African chief came up 
and took off his lovely crown made of ostrich feathers. Very beautiful and expensive. And he laid it at the preacher's feet. And he said, preacher, African chief gives crown to Jesus. But then he went back to his seat. And then the preacher continued to call. And he came up and he had a very expensive diamond ring on his finger. He took off his diamond ring and he put it at the preacher's feet. And he said, preacher, African chief gives ring to Jesus. But he went back to his sleep, to his seat. Oh, yes. And then the preacher continued to call. And he had on this beautiful colored coat because he was the chief. And he had to wear the most expensive coat in the tribe. Then he came, he backed off his coat, and he threw it down. And he said, preacher, African chief gives coat to Jesus. But he went back to his seat. Then the preacher continued to call. And then he came up. This time, he was crying. And as he cried, tears rolling down his face, he threw down himself at the preacher's feet. And he said, preacher, African chief gives self to Jesus. That is what stewardship is all about. That we give ourselves. Because after all, if we give everything else, and we don't give self to Jesus, then we really, we really haven't given anything yet. So here it is. That the first biblical principle in Christian stewardship is that God made us. He makes everything and everything belongs to him. And in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26 to 28, the Bible says, And God said, who said church? And God said, what did he say? Let us make man in our own image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Now, this passage here provides the essential foundation for proper understanding of Christian stewardship. The passage here also reveals that the stewardship that God expects of us has three essential characteristics. Number one, this stewardship here has what we call a collective dimension. What does that mean? It means here that as we come together collectively, whatever, when we give ourselves or whatever God asks us to give, we collaborate in encouraging, in fostering, in in, in exercising patience as we collaborate. Then, on the greater side, we collaborate with God as we give him ourselves and give him what we have. So that is the first characteristic, is that it's collaborative. Then the, the second one is that it represents... The purpose for which we exist. It represents the purpose for which we exist. The first reason why we exist is to give to God ourselves. As a matter of fact, I want you to understand here that we first of all belong to God. Yes, the devil has stolen our loyalty. The devil has stolen our pledge and our promise. But still, we belong to God. For everything that is in us 
is given us of God. So the, the, the Bible says that, and God said, let us make man in our own image. The, the, the theologians say that this image here that God puts in us is what we call, they call it the alien dignity. The alien dignity. What do they mean by that? It means that it's not something that is resident with us. Nobody else owns it. Nobody else has it. That image that God places in us is alien to the environment. It originates only with God. And he places it in us. And so because of that, that gives us value. It gives us purpose. Oh, it gives us existence. It gives us life. But not mere existence. It gives us rich spiritual life in Jesus Christ. And that is why it is such a sin when an individual turns his or her back on God and uses his or her body to do things that violate the principles of heaven. Oh yes. Our bodies should be the temple of the living God. And so, this, the, the, the basic uh, principle here are collaborative. Number two, it is the purpose for which we were made. And number three, it represents the dignity of each human being. Now, we have no dignity outside of Jesus Christ. And the word dignity here is a very heavy word. Because it means that which is eternal. It means that which has its purpose in God. It means here that all people... Who live on earth are indebted to God for the purpose of being alive. So, God says, For God, I, God, created man in my own image. In the image of God created he male and female created he them. Now I want you to note, notice here that the Bible says that God created man in his own image. And in the image of God created he male and female. I want you to understand here that the word man means male and female. That's what the Bible says here. Now when you see... A male walking on the road, you call him a man. Am I right? Okay, you would call me a man, and you would call Sister Harding a woman. Am I right? But that's not the biblical understanding. Sister Harding is a man, and I am a man. That's what the Bible says here. It says that God created man in his own image. As a matter of fact, the word man here in the Greek is the word Anthropos, from which you get the word anthropology. And anthropology is the study of human being. All right. So what it means here is that all human being are, it's called man. And that is why he has to say here, look at the distinction. Then he has to say he created man and then he created them male and female. So he created man in two species. That's what, that's what he's saying. He created man in two species, male and female. So let me come back to the word man. The word man here literally means the creature with the upturned face. What it means? The creature with the what? With the upturned face. Man is the only being who can look up to heaven 
turn his head up to heaven and see God. Uh, you know, you don't see him, you know, physically, but you are able to communicate with him. You are able to talk with him. None of the other created uh, beings can do that. Only man can do that. No other part of God's creation can do that. And so, that is why we are so special to God. In fact, when God created everything, and this is, this is another thing I wanted to understand here. Man was created after God created everything. So when man came on the scene, everything was already made. And so he owns nothing. You don't have anything. Oh yes, pastor, all I have is mine. That's true in one sense. But in the real biblical sense, that's not true. So here it is. That God made us. And this first here, this biblical principle here, is that God made all of us. Now, has he made us, as I said, he made us male, but in two species. Male, he made us female, right? He made us man in two species, male and female. Now, the second biblical principle here in Christian stewardship is that God owns us and he owns everything. Not only did he make us, but whatever he makes, he what? He owns. So God owns everything. So God created man in his own image. So we belong to him. In his own image, God created him male and female. Now, there's a great writer by the name of C.S. Lewis. And uh, he, he has written a book that is called Mere Christianity. And he says that every faculty you have, your power of thinking or moving, your limbs from moment to moment is given you by God. If you devote every moment of your whole life exclusively to his service, you could not give him anything that was not in a sense his already. And this is how I put it. There is nothing that we can make that has not been made from something that was already made. There's nothing. Matter. Matter, one, one of the first things you learn in your, uh, in your physics class in, uh, in high school or in junior high or in elementary school or in middle school, wherever you start. I started in Form 3 when I was in high school. And what I learned that matter cannot be created. And it cannot be destroyed. You remember that? That's right. That's right. What that means? It means that with all the modern invention that we have today, which I love very much, some of them. They are only made from something that was already made. So who has made the original? God. God. And so because God has made the original, we now are his stewards. And we are managing what God gives to us. And my question to you today, are you a good manager? Of life. And you know, one of the greatest responsibilities that God gives to us is life management, you know. If you can't manage your life, you're going to be self-destruct. You have to learn to manage your life. You have to learn to manage it under pressure. And you have to learn to, to manage it when there is no pressure. As, as a teenager, 
You have to manage it when you are faced with peer pressure. What decision are you going to make? And if you are 99, you have to manage it even under pressure. So whatever age you are, you must manage your life. And when you manage your life, it must be managed within the context and within the confine of God's words. That my life is not mine. My property is not mine. And whatever I own is not mine. I am just taking care of God's goods. You know, I, I heard a story once, you know. Somebody told this story at a funeral. He said that there was a certain man. And uh, he, he had some money. He was a rich man. And he said that when he dies, he would like all his money to go with him in the grave. So, you know, he called his three of his friends, his pastor, his lawyer, and his doctor. He said, Pastor, I am giving you this money here. So he divided up the money in three parts. He said, Pastor, whenever you are committing my body to the, to the to the ground, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. I want you to throw in my bundle of money. And, uh, and he said, and then he said, he went to his doctor and said, doctor, I'm going to give you this money here. When pastor throw in, you're going to throw in. So he, he uh, then he went to his lawyer. But he gave the lawyer the bulk of the money, most of the money. And the lawyer, when the lawyer was there, all everybody threw in their bulk of money. The lawyer just threw in a small piece of paper. And then, um, while they were at the repast, they were eating. And uh, the lawyer, and the doctor said, John, you mean to tell me that Raya, the, the doctor and the pastor were talking. And they said to the lawyer, you mean to tell me that of all that money that John gave me, only that small amount you throw in. He said, what do you mean by that? He said, I throw in the full amount. He said, how come? They, they, we only saw a little piece of paper. He said, no, man, I just wrote a check and threw it inside. You see? He just threw a check inside. So af after all, the lawyer got away with all the money. Yeah, because all he did was just to throw a check inside, a piece of paper. That doesn't worth anything in the grave. But the idea here, you know, is that sometimes we feel that we can take everything that we have with us. But we can't. So here, I want you to understand today that there is nothing that we have. So what does God want from us? What does he want from us? What does he want from us? In, in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 17, the Bible says, says here you, most, you may say to yourself my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me but remember the Lord your God for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which we swore to your ancestors, as it is today. 
Christian stewardship is the commitment, the consecration of ourselves and our position to God's service. Recognizing that we do not have the right of control over our property or over ourselves or over our lives, God should have full control. So what does God want from us? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies living sacrifice. So what does God want? God wants, first of all, he wants our love. What God want? God wants our love. Then he wants our loyalty. But before you give him your love and your loyalty, you must, first of all, give him your life. You know, although there is nothing that God needs, there are some things that God wants. And so what is the difference between a want and a need? There are some things that God desires and that God deserves. But before you, you, you decide in your own mind what God wants and what God desires, hear what the scripture says. That again, I have to come back to this text. I beseech you, therefore, brethren. You know, God can exist without us. But we can't exist without God. And some, sometimes the way we, we treat God sometimes, and the way we behave with God, our 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 attitude, our disposition, devalues our relationship with God. Yes. You know, the devil wants us to believe that it takes a lot to please God. It doesn't really take a lot to please God, you know. It doesn't really take a lot to please God. But the devil wants us to believe that we have to move mountain to please God. The devil wants us to believe that we have to dry up the ocean to please God. All God is asking us for is the surrender of our ego, of ourselves, of our personal, our own personal created values God is asking us to throw that in and then take what I give you you know it is easier to please God than to please the devil it is easier but the devil thinks that it wants us to believe that it is easier to please him so he put these huge mountains in your ways and brings you through these huge trials so that you feel that the world, you know, I, I, I have to conquer the world to please God. But let me ask you a question. Can a child give his or her heart to Jesus? Of course. What do they have to do? All it takes is to make a personal surrender to Jesus Christ. And so as you live your life each day, make sure that you understand, one, who God is. 
do what he wants of you. All he wants from you is your surrender. Give it to him today. As the song says, my stubborn will, at last I have yielded. It doesn't take much. It doesn't take much. And so as we give God ourselves, as we give him our love, as we give him our loyalty, the next question is, what do we receive from God? What do we receive from God? Oh, you can receive everything. Look at creation. When God made everything, man was nowhere yet in sight. And so God made everything and then he places it in our care. He places it in our hand. So the world is ours. And all the resources of earth belongs to us. He asks us now to be his managers. And as I close today, as I close today, when God created Adam and Eve, he placed them in the Garden of Eden, and he said to them, of this tree you must not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. There was nothing intrinsically wrong with the tree. Some people say it was apple tree. It was, you know, it, well, in my country, I wouldn't say apple. I would say mango tree or something like that. But it, it could be any fruit. The important thing, the lesson there was not in the fruit itself. The lesson there was this. Number one, when Adam and Eve walked up to that tree and decided to pick of that tree, they should be reminded that everything in the garden belonged to God. That was the first, that was the first importance of the tree. If you eat this one, you're going to die. Because I've reserved this one. And the reason what I have, why I've deserved, reserved this one is to give a perpetual reminder that everything here belongs to me and as, a, as, a, as the owner, I have the right to reserve for myself what I want. And also, so, so that was God's mark of ownership for material things. Then God gave the Sabbath. And he says that six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. That's mine. Don't touch it. So what, what, what the tree of life was in the garden. What was for? For material things. Then the Sabbath is God's sign of spiritual things. So those who destroy the Sabbath and walk on it and pollute it. They are doing the same thing that Adam and Eve did when they ate the fruit. Disobeying God's command. And so there is no more tree that you can't touch or you can't eat. So what God did in time, God instituted the tithing system that takes the place of the tree. So that's why when you return your tithe to the church, it is a spiritual matter. It is not just that you feel good and you want to give God something. No. It is a, it, it's, you've reached the point in your life where you are seeing now that this is God's, God's sign of, of ownership for material things that the tree of life was. And the tree of life is no more. So God puts this here so that when we have material things, he says, listen, one-tenth 
of this is mine. But God does not need it. You need to do it more than how God wants it. Because this is a part of your spiritual development. This is a part of giving of yourself to God as living sacrifice. But more than all, I want you to understand today that none of us here can make any meaningful sacrifice to God unless we first of all present ourselves as living sacrifices. And God gave it all. He gave everything. And one man says that when God gave, his pocket was empty. He had nothing left. For God gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I want you today to rededicate yourself to God in giving yourself. And one song in the songbook says, I love thee, I love thee, I love thee, my Lord, but how oh much I love thee, my action will show. Love is more than words. Love must be translated in action. Do you love Jesus? Do you want to follow him? Do you want to be true to him? Do you want to be loyal to him? As I close today, I cannot close unless I ask each worshiper here today to make a definite decision to recommit your life to Jesus Christ because that is where the rubber touches the road. Not what you have. Not your job. You and you and you. That's what God wants. So if you really want to make that commitment to God, today I'm going to invite you to stand. Please. And this commitment is not that you're going to support the church with money. That's not what it is all about. This commitment is that you're going to make God first in your whole life. Whatever you do, today, tomorrow, by God's grace, you're going to love him, you're going to give him your life, you're going to give him your loyalty. Now I'm going to pray now. And I'm going to ask you to join me up here for prayer. Please come along. Please come. Please come. This is a commitment that you need to make. Openly today. Of recommitting. Your love. Your life. And your loyalty. To Jesus Christ today. Today. Outside of that. There is no giving. Outside of that, there is no offering. Your offering today is an offering of life, of love, and of loyalty. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Let us pray. Dear God, our God, how excellent is your name in all the earth. You are loving, kind, merciful, long-suffering. We are here today because you have given us life. You have given us love and you are loyal to us. What you want for us today is ourselves, not things.
you want us. So Father, as your servant today, I present before you this congregation, each worshiper, those who have walked down here today, and even those who are making their surrender in their seat as they open their life to you now. I pray there, God, that you will accept us. Take us, O oh God. And as you take us, we pray that you will use us for whatever you want us for. Help us to shine for you wherever we are. Help us to glow for you even the darkest of night. And even when the situations around us are grim and gray, help us, Father, that we will love you, we will give you our lives, and we will be loyal to you. Dear God, I pray now that you will be with every worshiper here. Take our hearts, mold us, and fashion us. And when we go today, Lord, bless us in what we do. For those who are sick, heal our bodies and give us good health. Lord, for those who are seeking for jobs, provide a good job, meaningful job. For those who are having problems with their relationship with their spouse or their children, I pray for healing. For those who God, oh, who are having problems in their finances, I pray that you will restore them financially. I pray, loving Lord, for those who are going to school and are struggling. I ask your God that you will help them to do well. Those who are doing well in school, help them to continue to do well. I pray, dear God, that each one here today will get favor from you. And help us to manage our lives well. So that we will, we will, oh God, Please you in all we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. We are always encouraged to know how God is working through this ministry to touch lives. If you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending an email at podcast at savinggracesda.org. As the Holy Spirit impresses you, you may also support this ministry financially by visiting saving grace sda.org